In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie. Thursday morning, the 4th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The closure of the emergency department in Navan is imminent. The two TDs for Sinn Féin in County Mead are concerned and they want details of what's planned. Darren O'Rourke and Johnny Girk say that they've heard from senior managers and staff at the hospital who say that the future of the emergency department now hangs in the balance. Johnny Girk is on the line with us and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Tell us a little bit more about what you've been hearing. Yeah, Michael, um, we know uh, for over the last year that ambulance have been bypassing Navin, and we also know that the HSE is looking at occupancy in other hospitals to accommodate patients from Navin, and we also know that the HSE want to close the emergency department in, in Navin. So we've been told by senior management at the RCSI uh, group and staff at Our Ladies Hospital in Navin that the, the timeline that they're talking about for closing the A&E is April and May uh, this year. And that's uh, a fact uh, that there's no doubt about it that the emergency department is going to close as far as the people you've been speaking to are concerned. Yeah, they, they, they've told us, um, Michael, like, I mean, I don't normally run with stories like this unless I have it from good sources, you know. And we have got this from senior management at the RCSI and staff uh, in Navin Hospital that the dates they're talking about is April and May. When you say senior management, uh, can you tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, well, the top, the, the, the people at the top of, of the RCSI uh, um, we, we've been speaking to those, and those, those are the ones that are telling us that the dates that they're uh, that they're looking at is April and May. Doctor Jerry McEntee. No, 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 it wasn't Jerry McEntee. No. Who, who was it, or are you willing to say well, is it well, at well, a well, national well, level well, or? I, I uh, uh, yeah, at a, at a national level, Michael. Yeah, we, um, I'm not going to say on national radio who it is, but um, I, I don't say it unless it's true, Michael. <clears throat> Okay, but uh, this is uh, HSE uh, policy, in other words, that this is going to happen. Uh, have you learned any more about what's planned? 
No, I don't know uh, what the plan is. Um, I wrote to um, Minister uh, Stephen Donnelly myself yesterday um, asking for clarification and what are their plans uh, as as regards um, closing the emergency department permanently in Navan. You know, and, and, and just to go back, Michael, um, I, I'm well aware, Michael, of how many lives even since they have bypassed, ambulance have bypassed Navan Hospital, how many lives have been saved by uh, the emergency department that is there at the moment. I, I could tell you uh, two cases that I'm aware of. One is a man from uh, Johnstown, Navan, who, uh, a very fit man who uh, got pains in his chest and went to Navan Emergency Department. He got a massive uh, heart attack uh, five minutes after going into um, Navan A&E and they eventually um, got him sorted out after a long, long time. And he would tell you himself, Michael, that if he had to go to... Um, had a hospital, he would have been in slain when he would have got that uh, heart attack, you know. And then you're dealing with him on the side of the road, which wouldn't be the same treatment at all that he would have got in Navin. And another woman, um, Michael, in Cartown, uh, she she got a, an allergic reaction to medicine, and she her wine pipe was closing, and she um, made it to Navin Hospital, and she wouldn't have made it to uh, Drogheda Hospital according to herself either. And these are only two cases that I'm aware of, Michael. So the, the emergency department, even as it is in Navin. Michael is saving lives every day, and the staff are amazing. Like uh, the work that they're doing, you know. So, hmm. um, so, so you're you're, su- you're suggesting that the HSE is about to implement a, a plan uh, in the coming weeks, really, uh, that will result result in uh, the loss of lives unnecessarily. Well, if you go by the, those those people there, Michael, um, it is uh, easy to see how it will cost lives. You know, if if people um, from Navan and surrounding areas uh, who are close to uh, to Navan have to uh, go to Drogheda, um, you know, even down in North Mead, uh, you know, where, where mm. sometimes you could be waiting for ninety minutes for an ambulance, like you know, it, it's. It, it it is saving lives, you know, and it, there's no doubt whatsoever about that. And, you know, even if we could invest yeah. and retain the services that are there, you know. Is it that simple, though? I wonder, because we have uh, seen other hospitals being downgraded in this way, losing their emergency departments in advance of those units closing. We were told that lives would be lost. And it appears that in some circumstances, the opposite is true, that the regional approach to delivering hospital care has been more effective? Well, uh, I, I'm not so sure about that now. Um, I, all I can tell you about is is that the people that have been in touch with us and the lives that it has saved, you know, and um, it definitely, uh, from what I've been listening and what I've been hearing, it definitely would cost lives if um, the A&E was closed permanently in Avon. Okay. You know, uh, like and, and you're adamant that this is uh, the position of the HSE. Uh, you're not willing to say which manager has said this to you. Are you able to tell us at what rank uh, this has been discussed? Well, all I'll tell you, Michael, is that senior management, you know, at, at, at this level, you know, like last year alone, um, there was 123,000 people uh, waiting on trolleys and, and in Drogheda alone there was 2,078 of those you know so we're, we're, I don't know how we're um, solving the problem by putting more people into into these other hospitals <laughs> Okay and the management you've spoken to are they in support of this plan? Well I don't know if they're in, in, in support of it or not but they're telling us that these are the dates that they're talking about for closing it. I'm not so sure whether they're uh, for it or against it. I, I, I don't know that. Really? Uh, did you not ask? or? Well I, I, I didn't. 
Okay. That, that, that uh, seems peculiar. In what context uh, were you told this? I was told it through one of my other TDs uh, uh, from, from, from Mead. Yeah. Darren O'Rourke was speaking to one yeah. of uh, yeah. the senior yeah. managers who yeah. said this to him. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and you're hearing from staff as well. Have you heard directly from staff yourself? I have, I have, yeah. Okay, and where did the staff hear it from? Uh, I mean, are are these Chinese whispers or are there documents to support what you're saying? Well, what we would have heard from senior management would have been been a week or a couple of weeks ago, so that probably drifts down to the staff uh, eventually, and that has come out from staff in the last day or two, you know. Right, and what are the staff saying about it? Like, I mean, the staff uh, don't want uh, to lose their A&E, the same as the people around uh, the 222,000 people of County Mead and surrounding counties don't want to lose the emergency department in Navan, you know, so mm. it's important uh, that we do our best to, uh, you know, find out what's going on and see if there is any way that even services that are there at the moment, well, there mightn't be mm. uh, a full emergency service. It is saving lives and that's the main thing, you know. Yeah, well, the people made their views uh, very clear, uh, I think, on a number of occasions over the last decade or, or so uh, with thousands of people protesting against the prospect of closing the emergency department in Navan. Uh, but this year, it, it seems like a very unrealistic proposal given the strain that there is on hospitals and the predicted strain that will be on hospitals. Yeah, but um, you had that last year too, and that didn't stop them from uh, the from the ambulance from bypassing uh, Nav, and you know. So, like, I mean, you have to take what the HSE and these people tell you with a pinch of salt. You know yourself. You've mm-hmm. spent a long time trying to get information from them, trying to get them uh, to talk to you, and it's not easy. You know. So, um, my my only contact is uh, to write to uh, Minister Donnelly and see um, what clarification I can get from him and what I can get in writing. You know, and I hope to God that I'm wrong. You know. But this is where, what we've been hearing, and it's, we, we've been hearing it from those people, you know. And what do you think is driving this? Uh, what's the logic behind doing it? Uh, because uh, I've been hearing for 20 years, I, I think, uh, that the future of the emergency department in Navin uh, hangs in the balance or is in doubt or the emergency department is going to close. Other people will tell you they've been hearing this for 40 years. Ten years ago, there was a national report on hospitals and the smaller hospital framework document suggested that Navin would be one of, was it 10 or 13 hospitals that would lose their emergency department Uh, but in conjunction with changes that were made in other hospitals that would make all of this work. And the reason they said that they wanted to do that in that report was on the grounds of safety, that Navin just wasn't safe. Uh, And we've heard that continuously from medical experts over the years. Navin is not a safe emergency department. Uh, And given the expertise that have articulated that view, uh, is it not reasonable and right uh, to take on board what they're saying? Yeah, of course it is. Uh, but there's lots of ways you can make it safe. You can make it safe by um, investing in it. You know, you can you can make it safe. But if you talk to any of the people that have been saved in Avon Hospital in the last six months, they, they, they won't tell you that it's not safe. They'll tell you that they were in there and that the treatment and, and, and the care they got from the staff was second to none. And, and they will tell you that only for Navin Hospital, um, they wouldn't be around today. You know, so it, it depends who you talk to uh, on these things. Like, you know, if it's not safe, invest in it and make it safe. 
Okay, uh, you've written to the minister. I take it there hasn't been a response as yet. No, I only wrote to him yesterday um, mm. when 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 I confirmed it from the staff and that you know. So I I wrote to him yesterday. You know, I did wait for a while. You know, yourself like when you hear these things, you wonder is it talk or is it um, just idle gossip? But you know, when you hear it from senior management and then you start hearing it from the staff, there's something to it. You know. Mm. Okay. Well, if there is something to it, what's going to happen next? Well, if there is something to it, like I mean, they 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 will close the and E and Navin completely. You know, if 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 you know yourself, you you're mm. dealing with this uh, a long long time yourself, Michael. Mm. Uh, you know yourself that the HSE want to close. No, the, yeah, I imagine you know. there'll be strong resistance. Well, they will. Like I mean, we'll be doing all uh, we can to resist it anyway. You know, in in, in any way we can. You know, so um, you know, people power as well. You know, but um, uh, that's. You know, you, you know that the HSE have it in their head to close now an A and E completely, and mm. uh, that's 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 no big secret. You know, it's just a timeline for it. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, but you do expect uh, resistance and protests. Uh, uh, in other words. Yeah, well, I mean, like you know, people on the streets has worked so far. It has kept uh, well to to an extent. Like you know, they are bypassing it in an ambulance, and and it's one thing. Like if if somebody is in the back of an ambulance, you know, but if somebody has to drive to Navan, like for, that lives nearby, that's a different story. You know what I mean? You, you're not waiting in an ambulance. You haven't time to wait in an ambulance. You know, so these are the people that are being saved in Navan at the minute. You know, and what is the outcome for the for those people? These are the questions we need to be asking. You know. Okay. Johnny, we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, If there's any truth in what you've been hearing, uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about it. Uh, But as I say, uh, we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, You've made contact with uh, the Minister. We'll hear what uh, the Minister has to say when he does respond to you. And we put our own questions to the Health Service Executive. Uh, But thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme today. That's uh, Sinn Féin TD for Meath West. Johnny Girk, if you want to comment on the potential of closing the emergency department in Navan. Uh, you're welcome to ring us now on 0419832000. You can also use that number if you want to comment on something else, of course, 0419832000, or text us on 0861800658, or WhatsApp your message, 0861800658. The same number, email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. What is rape or what does rape mean? It's an interesting question or interesting to hear somebody ask it, I I think, uh, because I think most of us would have an understanding of what non-consexual sex is. But the definition of rape or the legal definition of rape is proving to be a stumbling block in uh, Europe uh, agreeing on a policy uh, against violence against women uh, which would mean that women in each European country would be entitled to to the same rights. Uh, The uh, Rape Crisis Centre in Dublin is calling on the government to back the definition of rape as one of lack of consent, which has been approved by the European Parliament. And it has written to the Minister for Justice, Alan McEntee, to say as much. Shirley Scott is policy manager with the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and on the line. And a very good morning to you, Shirley. Uh, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, this is a, a somewhat confusing story. I think for a lot of people can you put some clarity on it for us please um, 
I, I do hope so, Michael. Thanks uh, so much for having us on. So I suppose, first of all, just to talk about the, the directive. So it's an EU directive on combating violence against women and domestic violence. And it's a directive that's going to provide the first piece of EU legislation that aims to harmonise the approach to and the definition of some of the most serious crimes across the EU. So you're talking about crimes like cyber violence, cyber stalking, cyber harassment, female genital mutilation and rape. So that, as you say, citizens have the same rights wherever they are within the EU when they are um, victims of such violence. So I suppose we issued a press release yesterday calling on the government to fully support the directive. And what prompted us to do that and to write to the Minister for Justice, as you said, Michael, are the concerns that have been raised by MEP Frances Fitzgerald. She's been working on this directive and in recent media reports and interviews, she's highlighted that some of the countries in Europe, including Ireland, have yet to agree on a definition of rape to be included in the directive. And I suppose a key component of the directive is the criminalisation of rape based on a lack of consent. But not all member states are agree are agreeable to this definition. And if they're not all agreeable to the definition, then rape risks not being included in the directive. So we do not want a situation where rape is not in the directive, mm. nor do we want a situation where there's different standards of justice applying across Europe. Because I suppose one of the things that when you think about the European Union as a structure, it's one that prizes itself on equality and security for all. So we are looking on um, on the government, on the Minister uh, for Justice, you know what I mean, to work with member states to agree on a definition to be included in the directive. Okay, so you want, as the European Parliament has agreed, that rape would be defined as non-consensual sex. Uh, The problem here is that some of the states want rape to be defined as sex by force. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose um, there's about 12 member states who support the inclusion of consent, a consent-based definition of rape in the directive. And there are 10 against the proposal. And I suppose some of those um, member states would define, you know, rape based on um, on force. But rape doesn't have to be a, vi- a physically violent act. If somebody does not consent, it is rape. And I suppose here in Ireland, you know what I mean, we have some, you know, mm. kind of progressive legislation. We have a consent-based definition of rape that already exists within the, the 2017 Criminal Law Sexual Offences Act. Yes. Um, And I suppose that's what we have enshrined in our legislation. And really what we're calling on is to see, you know, kind of these rights enshrined in legislation at an EU level. So that no matter where people are, when, you know what I mean, these violent acts, you know, occur, as you said, that they can, you know, expect to um, receive minimum level of protection. Odd as it seems, Irish legislation is relatively progressive in this. In France, for example, rape is defined as... As a sexual act committed against a person under threat, coercion, mm-hmm. surprise or violence. But the French authorities are concerned uh, that if uh, the European Parliament definition of lack of consent is 
uh, imposed in this directive that you'll have some countries like Hungary, for example, who may overturn the entire directive uh, on the grounds that it doesn't tally with uh, their national laws. I think, for example, uh, marital rape has not uh, been criminalised in Hungary yet. Yeah. So I suppose some countries are not happy with the proposed definitions. And I suppose others, you know, like France and Germany, have argued that this isn't something that the EU should legislate, legislate on because they believe it kind of overreaches the EU's legal competency. But I suppose one of the things we've heard, you know, um, MEP Francis Fitzgerald um, say, because and she's one of the lead negotiators on this directive, but she said, like, you know, the... I suppose we've done, we've we've approved directives in relation to exploitation, sexual exploitation, trafficking, and child sexual abuse. You know what I mean? In a similar way, uh, in Europe, for these particular you know types of crimes. So that I mean, there. I suppose what she's saying is that she's, she is hopeful that there can be a way that member states, you know, can find kind of a common. Um, a common wording mm. that will kind of support all member states. Because I suppose one of the things when we think about it is, uh, you know, I mean, back in, was it 2014, um, there was an EU-wide survey on violence against women um, t- undertaken by the Fundamental Rights Agency. And I suppose the findings from that are telling us that 9 million European women have been raped at least once in their lives. Yeah. And if we cannot agree, you know what I mean, the wording for the directive, then we're going to be failing a huge number of people in Europe harmed by sexual violence, especially women and children who are disproportionately impacted by these crimes. So, I mean, it's was Really, this is a groundbreaking directive and really we need, you know, our member states to be working together to include a definition of rape. Do you believe it is possible to agree a wording given uh, the distance there is uh, between uh, the attitudes of different countries, uh, the 27 different countries in, in the European Union towards sex crimes. If Ireland's laws are some of uh, the most progressive, I take it Hungary's are uh, the are most huge. regressive. Uh, yeah. And uh, they came under a lot of criticism uh, in a report from Amnesty called Hungary Cries Unheard, the failure to protect women from rape and sexual violence in the home Uh, and they in that report point out that the penal code continues to define rape and other crimes of sexual violence as crimes against marriage the family youth and sexual morality and Amnesty says the implications of a definition like that are to remove the focus from the harm done to the victim which is usually a girl or a woman and to encourage the victim to remain silent for fear of the damage even a complaint will do to her standing in the community. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what we're hoping, you know, and what we're calling for for, uh, is on the minister and our government to show leadership, to use their influence to convince other member states how a consent-based definition of rape within the directive ensures that victim survivors are equally protected across Europe. I mean, I suppose if we want to combat rape across Europe, we need to ensure a minimum level of protection for all women in all member states and, you know, for those who travel within the EU so that they can expect that the same standard approach is going to be, you know, given um, to how the crime is dealt with. Um, listening, I suppose, to, uh, to Frances Fitzgerald and some of her media reports, I suppose, I mean, she has said that, you know, um, kind of, 
time is against them, but she is hopeful. You know, I think Belgium have taken over the uh, presidency and they're hopeful that they can kind of work, continue to work on this between now and I think it's the end of, uh, of this month, January, that they need kind of to see some consensus. But, you know, I mean, the reason we um, issued the press release is we really do need our leaders to work towards finding a solution that will not dilute the definition of rape as a serious crime based on a lack of consent. Okay. So I suppose we're hopeful, you know what yep. I mean, and the people that are working on it, um, you know what I mean, are, I suppose are going to continue to work on this until, I suppose, time runs out yeah. on them. Yep. So, um, yeah. And, and uh, as you say, uh, the the issue is commonplace. Rape is commonplace in this mm-hmm. country, and I'm sure it's no different uh, in other European countries, uh, which is why it's so important and yeah. uh, why it is uh, as confusing as it is to think uh, that it is not looked on as seriously in some European countries. But it is an issue that impacts people here and uh, far afield. Uh, of course, yeah. uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre has its 24-hour helpline, which is available to people if uh, they have been impacted by sexual violence in any way. There's a trained yeah. uh, counsellor at the end of the line 24 hours a day on one eight hundred seventy seven eighty eight eighty. I appreciate you saying that, Michael, that the helpline is there. And of course, as well, for some of your listeners, the Dog Rape Crisis Centre may also be somewhere that, you know what I mean, they look to, but the one eight hundred seven seven eight 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 number is there. And, you know, anybody triggered by kind of what we've been talking about, you know, there's somebody there to listen to them and to talk with them. OK, Shirley, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. That's uh, Shirley Scott, Policy Manager with uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Michael Reed on LMFM. Um, yeah, some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. John in Navin in touch with us. I'm not going to read your comment, John, because uh, on the face of it, it appears to me that John in Navin is suggesting that burning the pub in Ring's End was justified uh, because of the people John believes was going to move into it. People who John knows nothing about, who he doesn't know personally, has never even seen, never alone met, uh, and we leave that to one side. Uh, I just just thought I'd mention that so uh, we could stop uh, these daily racist comments coming to us. Uh, Clara Mead in touch with us uh, saying with the new year I thought our government would start doing things right. No, no, no. Population is rising every day uh, and now they're closing the A&D in Avon. Where are their priorities? You save people instead of uh, allowing them to worry themselves to death, says Claire Deirdre in Kells in touch saying it would be disastrous if uh, they do close the ED. What are the people of me to do? Only for Navin Hospital, I wouldn't be here. They saved my life. Uh, Drogheda can't cope with all of this, says Deirdre. Thanks uh, for your text, as always, Deirdre. Uh, let's uh, speak now to Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles. We're going to talk about RTE and the licence fee uh, in a moment. Uh, but what do you make of uh, the claims from Sinn Féin this morning that the ED is going to close in April or May? Uh, good morning, Michael. Uh, Happy New Year to, to, to all the, the listeners out there. Um, well, look, I take anything to do with our hospital in Navin uh, very seriously. And obviously, Sinn Féin are claiming, and they've unnamed sources, that um, 
they apparently got a week ago, uh, but only coming out now proposing uh, a closure. So, you know, I'll certainly look into their claims as I would anything. Um, all I would say is that the exact same thing um, was said by the same people this time last year, because we were all outside the gates of the hospital in Navan at a rally in January 2023. So I'm not sure if this is kind of New Year's resolution. The lads just bring this threat out every year. It was also said the autumn before that. It was also said in the summer of 2022, the summer of 2021. So we've had at least a half a dozen threats of this nature during this term alone. And as I said, I take everything serious when it comes to that hospital. I was right across the road from it. Uh, but I must say, and I, and I mean this, uh, what I do find amazing is that when there was good news announced for the hospital just prior to Christmas, uh, with the installation of a brand new MRI scanner, which is going to be transformational for healthcare treatment available in Our Ladies in Navin, neither of the Sinn Féin TDs who are now issuing releases uh, to the Michael Reach or to LMFM, neither of them welcomes the installation of that MRI scanner nor did Pader Toby. And I find it quite amazing because Johnny Gurk was on your radio show this morning and he must have mentioned investment four or five times. And here was major investment prior to Christmas. And when investment like this happens, they seem to lose their tongues. But at the whisper of a rumour, they're like tigers. So I find that they're, you know, very kind of queer pussycats altogether. But yeah. anyway, uh, you're, you're... we'll leave that for... You're, you're, you're um, not uh, worried that the investment that we have seen is uh, the type of investment that the HSE would be making in order to, to close down the emergency department? No, because this, this is investment. Um, it's just actually part of a number of investments last year. We've had a series of oh, investments I know, but the, that but, actually... But that's, you build up some services and, and yeah, you, no, put, no, and no, you strip out other services. Point. I mean, that is yeah. the approach, isn't it? No, I, I actually don't accept that premise, Michael, because there's actually been there's been so much investment over a series of areas, and I spoke with the actually the, the company involved and the, and the hospital prior to Christmas. I think we should all be up there, actually, um, looking at the new investments that have been happening. That's not saying yeah. that I because I have been and I always have been throughout the course of my 24 years as a public representative for this town and county, taking any threat serious and being part of the campaign to actively actively. Uh, engage with the HSE and various ministers to make sure no threat was ever implemented in our hospital. The point I'm making is I find it amazing that public representatives can be so quick. Actually, they weren't quick because they got the news a week ago and it took a week to issue a press release. I find it amazing that they can come out and actually make statements when it comes to supposed rumours about negative things get rolled out year after year. But when the investment that they're looking for happens, they remain sheepishly quiet I find that amazing. Okay, but you're not dismissing the story. You're going to try and establish. Oh, no, but it should, that would be churlish to okay. dismiss anything. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to come on the show and go. No, I'm not going to accept. If, if another public representative is is putting their uh, um, reputation and saying that they believe there is an element of truth, of course I take that seriously. And the whole strength of actually the hospital campaign in Navin is because people from all political persuasions have been on stages and in rooms together fighting for the hospital. And nobody who supports me or indeed any other public representative would expect anything less. Because, as I said, it's of deep importance to me and still will be when I'm long gone from politics. And so I take that seriously. And I and people can be assured of that 
always fight for the hospital in Avon. Okay, well, we'll watch that space as uh, they say uh, the Sinn Féin TDs have written to the Minister uh, and we put our own requests into the HSE. Let's talk about RTE if we can and indeed broadcasting in general uh, as a member of uh, the Media Committee. Uh, I'm sure you were interested in hearing what uh, Green Party leader Eamon Ryan had to say uh, to the Sun this week uh, that uh, the future of funding broadcasting has to be sorted out by the uh, end of the first quarter of this year, in other words, by April. Uh, And this calls into question what is going to replace the licence fee? Because I think it's generally accepted that the licence fee uh, is something that has been relegated to history now, given the amount of people who have decided not to pay it. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you nailed it there as well, actually, just in your little um, intro to me there as well, when you, when you used the phrase, Michael, broadcasting in general, because what started off about a debate about RTE back in, my God, June of last year, it seems an age ago now, uh, has now morphed into a debate about the funding of all traditional media and its future, so from newspapers to TV and also radio. And indeed, just prior to Christmas, all of the independent local radio stations, including LMFM, uh, the managing directors, came to the doll looking for funding. And why? Because the business model for all of our traditional media is, is definitely broken, uh, not just RTE. And, and people listening might go, you know, what does he mean by that? And just, you know, to put into kind of plain language for people listening, for example, in local radio, something as simple as the death notices that are read out before your show and local radio used to be the king when it came to the debts. Uh, they took over from the newspapers. I mean, it used to be a time you'd pick up the Irish Independent when it was a broadsheet and the inside back cover was full of the debt. That's all gone. People don't put them in the, in the newspaper anymore. They went to local radio. But now we see that they have actually started to move online as well to things like RIP.ie. And of course, for every 50 grand in advertising revenue that ma- migrates from the likes of LMFM to online, that then has an impact on how many reporters, how many researchers, how many presenters are employed in LMFM or any other local radio station. And that's what they said when they came to Dáil Éireann prior to Christmas. And to break that down into pounds, students and pence, and I just looked at some of these figures before I came on with you this morning. In Ireland last year, TV ads that would have been around €266 million Euros spent by companies on TV advertising last year. On radio, that's all independent local radio and RT that would have been 155 million and in newspapers it was 74 uh, million on online ads what companies spend in online it was nearly 900 million euro in online mm. so the contrast is, is massive we can clearly see that over double so you can combine TV, radio and newspapers and double it and you're still be, there's still companies are spending more online and that's where that's where the money is going. So there is a big issue here now about the, the viability and the commercial viability of all media. And I think we've had the newspapers up before us in Dollar and they looked for that to be reduced to zero. That cost around 40 million. That happened. That was nearly like a life support measure. We have seen independent local radio come up. They're looking for certainty around the sound and vision funds mm. to create a scenario where, where stations like LMSM could plan on a five-year basis, not on a year-by-year basis, but it shows that, I suppose, the, 
the depth of the challenge that's facing um, what we would call traditional media. And that's serious, Michael. And by the way, yep. nobody coming up has an answer. And that's even... All more right, Rocco, well, that preempts my next question, if you don't have an answer, which is how do you uh, fund it? Uh, how do you, if the government is going to fund that gap between what it costs to run traditional media uh, and uh, the advertising, um, how is the government going to collect those monies? Well, I suppose that's the thing. There hasn't been a decision. There's been so many reports and people looking into what it should be, the creation of an overall fund. Everyone would dip into that. Um, my issue is I think the depth of the problem is so big. You look at something at RTE, um, you know, when there was no other kind of competition on the, on, on, on the playing field, RTE was making up to nearly 70% of their income from commercial streams. They weren't actually reliant on the, on the, on the, on the TV licence fund. That wasn't the relevance for them because they were, the, they were a big fish in a small pond. That has changed rapidly with online streaming, with other competitors, uh, even domestically, never mind internationally. And so suddenly... Uh, government support and TV licence support becomes critical for them. But as I said, unfortunately, that has gone throughout the whole sector now as well. And so government, and no matter what government, because it won't be just this government, this will be dealt with in the next term as well, whoever's in power then is faced with a scenario. Do you let actual um, entities die? Do you let them go to the wind? Or do you say, no, we do need reputable journalism in this country at a local and national level? But this is a conversation we're going to have to have as a country, Michael, because ultimately as well, and I see it among young people, I see it in my own nieces and stuff, mm-hmm. they're not buying newspapers, nope. they're not listening to traditional media. The business model is broken, and it's badly broken. And we will only regret this when it's gone. When you can't pick up the Draught Independent or the Mead Chronicle, or you can't turn on radio and hear LMFM, and the actual analysis of local news, because you say, for example, even us discussing the hospital in Navan, that's not making national news today. It might hit some stage, but it's not being probed and teased out at a, at a local level if we didn't have LMF. And that's the seriousness of what's at play here today. All right. We have to leave it there. Our time is up, but thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Fianna Falls Senator Shane Castles. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. How was it that Louth County Council discovered just two documents then? Five with an additional three on appeal until directed to search all over again, only to discover 892 emails in its possession. That's a a question we've been asking each day this week uh, and it follows queries put into Louth County Council before the Christmas break. Unfortunately, we've had no response whatsoever from Louth County Council. Let's speak to some local councillors, though. Labour's Emma Cutlip and Sinn Féin's Joanna Byrne are both based in the Drogheda area and they're on the line with us now. And a very good morning to both of you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Joanna Byrne, this is an issue that you raised with the CEO, Joan Martin, yesterday, I believe. Good morning, Michael, and Happy New Year to you and to all your listeners. Yeah, I, I had an opportunity yesterday um, to raise this with the executive of the council after listening to your show um, on Monday morning, and I, I was quite alarmed, being honest, with, with the coverage and the, the facts and the numbers um, of responses and how things have escalated from five to eight to just short of 900 um, and Yesterday morning, we had our first corporate policy group meeting of 2024, and I had an opportunity to raise it there. 
Now, I'm, I'm, I'm none the wiser, to be perfectly honest. Um, we were told that, and, and the meeting was told that um, following an appeal and, and another, um, FO, a new FO, FOI request and advance search was done, and this is what led to the the, the higher number of um, responses, and that all of these were recirculations of the original documents that were disclosed in the original request. That there's um, one document that was, or maybe a handful of documents that uh, had been redistributed uh, nine hundred occasions. Seemingly so, yeah. Right. Um, as I said, yeah, it, it is quite alarming, and it, it is something you know. It's it's worrying on a few different levels, Mike. Um, my my first thought, being honest, in listening to the coverage on it on Monday, was that the longer this goes on, that there is victims. At the back of obviously this FOI um, is in relation to um, an, an, an earlier topic regarding Brother Edmund Garvey, and, and there is victims at the back of this. And that was my first thought: was this is still going on, and, and this is bringing this back up. Mm. But second of all, it, it does um, raise questions in regards to how FOIs are handled. Yeah. Um, you know, and other people. Well, well talk, talk to me FOIs. about. Talk, talk, sorry to cut across because I'm totally confused. Talk to me about how FOIs are handled by Louth County Council and what you learned about that yesterday. Because what you're saying is that we were given these five documents, but all the time Louth County Council knew that they had 900 documents, but they didn't think that it was worthwhile. Telling us that they had the nine hundred documents is, 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 is along those lines. Yeah, it's it, it's very bizarre. Um, like my understanding of freedom of information is that all documents should be disclosed. I've used this process. Well, that, 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 that's just a fact, uh, and that's where yeah, I was going. Yeah, because, and in line yeah. with the legislation. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah. And that I've used this process myself yeah. mm. to help the constituent out on, on a housing issue a couple of years ago. And the folder of documents I got back it nearly turned me off ever wanting to do yeah. one again because it took me weeks to trawl through the information. Okay. So I, I, I'm not entirely sure what, what's yeah, well, going on here. Well, and, 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 and that's know, forgivable. That's forgivable. It's complicated uh, and uh, without uh, meaning to be pernickety. Uh, it's not that it should be disclosed. It's just that they should be discovered. Uh, and you, yeah. should, you should say, we've discovered we have 900 documents uh, and we're going to give you two, uh, it, 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 uh, and it's explained why you're not going to get the the oh, remaining right whatever it is nine hundred and eighty eight. But you had to discover them all. Uh, and, and if you're suggesting to us that Joan Martin said to you yesterday that it wasn't worthwhile the discovering the eight hundred ninety two documents, that's a very serious problem in that you're telling us that the Chief Executive of Louth County Council doesn't understand the law. Well, what was said, Michael, was that the original FOI was responded to. It was appealed um, and more resources were put into it. An additional three documents went from five to eight documents were disclosed. And then a new 
FOI request come in and it was treated as a new FOI request and this is what led to the the heightened number of so I'm not sure if different criteria were searched but that's that's the way we were told that it was a new FOI request All right. well what you were told by Joan Martin the Chief Executive of Louth County Council was wrong just wrong Simply wrong. Uh, if, as you've relayed it there, uh, is what she actually said. Because what happened was the FOI was made, uh, the two documents came back, it was appealed, five documents came back. And then an appeal was made uh, to a state body, the Information Commissioner, who directed, who carried out a four-month investigation into how Loud County Council is dealing with freedom of information requests, not happy at all, and then directed them to go and do the search properly when they did it, which takes no time at all. As everybody knows, if you do a search uh, through your emails, uh, you, you, you soon find it. If I uh, type in Joanna Byrne into my emails, I, I'll get uh, uh, several hundred uh, responses uh, <laughs> because I have a lot of emails from you. That's just the way emails work and everybody knows that. Uh, and it's not rocket science, but Loud County Council didn't do it. They were directed to do it uh, and they came back with the 892 emails, which is scandalous uh, to the minds of a, a lot of people, I, I think. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, no, no, I 100% agree. It, it, it poses questions around the whole freedom of information process that's been carried out about with the council. Um, you know, and a process that's there to offer the public, um, whether that's a journalist or whether it's a member of the public, whether it's a tenant, it doesn't matter who it is. Everybody should be afforded the same right to information. And it poses questions in regards to how like County Council are handling that. Emma Cutlip, do you believe it is a scandal? I absolutely believe that the, the, that the council has a lot to answer for in this. And, and, and they really need to do a lot of work um, in explaining what's happened here. Um, and, and what the reasons for it are. Because, look, if you look at the, 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 the legislation itself or the department, um, the, the, the central policy unit um, uh, under FOI have, like, extensive documents for bodies like the County Council to be able to understand what their obligations are. Now, there are a number of situations where... They, uh, there are exemptions to them providing certain information, section 29, 30, 31, 32, 35, 37, or whatever. That, go, that, that. that goes there back to that. But there. just sorry, just but to explain that. To, to, but just you have to explain that they're using these things and yes. why they're deciding not to or to withhold any particular thing. And they haven't done that. I, I, don't, want um, to, I, I don't mean to cut across you unnecessarily, Emma, but I just want, Emma, sorry, yeah. just, to, just to explain to listeners, as you say, that this is the law. They have to discover the documents. Yeah. They don't have to give them yeah. to you, but they have to discover mm-hmm. them. Loud County yeah. Council didn't discover them, which gave no opportunity to request the documents or to appeal the reason for not giving them to you. Uh, and that raises very significant questions as to why that happened. And if, it absolutely does. And, yeah, it absolutely does. And does it raise a question over concealment? Um, I don't know about concealment, because, look, they, 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 ha- they, they haven't responded yet to anybody. But, look, um, uh, uh, nobody in the executive should have a fear of transparency. Um, nobody in um, local government should have any fear about the FOI process. Um, you know, it's a core principle of, of, of democracy and to have um, the strengthening of trust in government and institutions and, and, and public service that, we be as, that they be as transparent as possible. And they haven't been. Um, and, and, and there's certainly 
uh, quite a few questions that need answered about this and as to why this has happened and what their, their, their reasons for it are. Like, like we need these answers. And, and you know, our, our faith in, in local democracy is at stake in this, you know. Um, and, and that's what the FOI was originally put in place for. And, and it was actually... It, 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 the original legislation was actually Labour Party legislation. It, you know, so we're, we're very proud of our our, our, um, our uh, legacy and respect to freedom of information. And it shouldn't be so difficult. It shouldn't be so difficult for people to have to jump through hoops to get simple, basic transparency from their government institutions. Mm. And I don't think that this is good enough, that, that, that this has happened, that it went from two to 892 to an extensive process. And I'm sure you've been banging your head off a wall trying to get this information. Um, and, and, and it shouldn't be like that. And I don't know why. Um, they have questions to ask as to why. Um, I'm not going to, um, to, to suggest mm. what their reasons for this are. They know their reasons, and they need to tell us their reasons. Yeah, well, and they need to be honest. And, well, they acted and out. They, they, they acted out. They acted outside of the law. The law states they must discover these documents. They didn't discover these documents, uh, and when they were directed by a third party to do it, they suddenly discovered them. Uh, now. Uh, reading me minutes uh, from Louth County Council, uh, recent minutes, uh, the chief executive, Joan Martin, that is, uh, advised councillors, yourselves uh, included, undoubtedly, all freedom of information requests are examined weekly by the senior management team. Uh, that would include the chief executive, wouldn't it? I would believe it would. Yeah, she is the top of the senior executive team. So if, if, if that's, that, that's her, her minister's statement, then yes. OK. Yeah. So um, do you believe that the chief executive knew that she was acting outside of the law? I have no idea what she she has known or not known. Um, I haven't spoken you, to her or asked her. OK, but, 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 um, but, but, but I think I think it is very clear... Um, uh, what the obligations are and that those obligations haven't been met. Do you believe that the Chief Executive should have known what the law states? Absolutely. It's, it's, her, it's, it's her job. That's what she's paid. She's paid to understand and know these things and she has plenty of advisors around her that, um, that ought to be able to provide proper um, guidance in, 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 in this matter. Um, and, and the book starts with, with Joan. You know, she's the Chief Executive um, and while there might be staff um, throughout the whole process of, of this discovery has been asked and tasked to do different jobs. Um, this, this situation is firmly on, on, on Joe Martin's desk. It absolutely is. OK. Uh, and when the chief executive acts outside of the law, as the chief executive of a local authority, of local government, who's not acting within state legislation what does that mean uh, what does that say about local government or, or or what questions does it beg of the chief executive well well look as, as, as to, to um whether or not she has done any particular processes that would be a matter for a judicial review or something like that you know what i mean um it's it's not my place to say um, uh, what she has or hasn't done with respect to the law. No, we, but, we don't know. We don't, no, 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 no. It's a fact. We, we know that the law was not adhered to. The law states that all of the documents should be discovered. That didn't happen. Uh, now, there's possible reasons for that. 
uh, and I'm not asking you to speculate as to what those reasons are. Uh, but one of those could be, for example, that the chief executive didn't understand the law. So uh, what questions does it ask of the chief executive? Well, what their, what, what their way of dealing with FOI requests is um, and why why they have gone from uh, um, discovering two documents to discovering 892 documents. We certainly need to know why there was such a discrepancy in that process. And I'd like to know what they're going to do to remedy it because... You know, there's, there's been a recent um, review of the FOI legislation and, and it, it certainly needs to be strengthened in respect of um, making it more fit for purpose. Um, but FOI bodies, and in this instance, Louth County Council, certainly have a job of work to do in, in, in repairing and remedying the, 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 the trust of people because this uh, freedom of information is information that ought to be public. Um, uh, and yeah. if it's not being made public, then there's questions to be answered. And I'd like to, I'd like to know the answers to those questions. Mm. And I have to thank you for your work in this, because you know, if it wasn't for your FOI request in the first instance, mm. we wouldn't. Uh, and your your determination to to, to, to have um, sight of the documents that um, mm-hmm. uh, pertain to your question. Sure, we, we wouldn't have known that that Loud County Council is doing this. And I have to beg the question. Are there other local authorities who are behaving like this? And have other citizens' rights to information been been um, reduced in this kind of way? You know, and it, hmm. it, it, it's, it's every citizen's right. Let, let me let, let me go. And they're being yeah. trampled. Yeah, let me go back to Joanna Byrne because, uh, as you said, uh, the issue centres around rescinding the freedom of uh, Drogheda from Brother Edmund Garvey, but the questions that this now poses relate to the running of local government. It goes right to the heart of local government. It goes right to the heart of what Louth County Council does uh, and everybody that it uh, has to uh, cater for. Uh, And as you said, uh, there could be people who uh, were refused planning permission, uh, who wanted to find out more information, uh, but couldn't because... I don't know. Maybe their freedom of information request was thrown in the bin, or just asked, yeah. "No, we've nothing to see here." Uh, <laughs> and you were told yesterday, "Nothing to see here." When obviously the law has been broken, and we have the chief executive at a public meeting telling you nothing to see here. This is totally but, unacceptable, isn't it? Yeah. What I would say is nobody is above the law. Um, no, no public body like Lanark County Council or any other county council is above the law any more than you or I or anybody else. So that's first and foremost. And if that's the case, then then I would need to be accountable if I broke the law, as would anybody else. But you're right in what you're saying here. This really does undermine confidence in the process of freedom inf- of information within the County Council. Of everything? We are, of everything? Yeah, of everything. Of repair, uh, confidence in Louth County Council to repair a pothole. Yeah. I mean, if they yeah. can't do a search of their emails, how can they repair a pothole? But that's it, exactly. And, and Loud County Council are here to serve the people of Loud, as are the elected reps that, you know, like myself and Emma, that's, that's put up. We, we are all there for the, for the sole purpose of serving the constituents that we represent. And if there is a process that is undermining people's rights, whether it's to information or to a service, 
then it does undermine the confidence of the capability of the council to carry out anything like that. We also believe uh, that the council is continuing to act in a way that is outside of the legislation because in response to the direction it was given by the information commissioner, it carried out a proper search. We do not believe, rightly or wrongly, we do not believe, I do not believe that they carried out a proper search to begin with because if you put in uh, any of these keywords, you get certain amount of results and they didn't get them. So I do not believe that they bothered to search or if they did, they just didn't bother to tell us what the results was. And it's as simple as that. It's disgraceful. It's scandalous. Uh, it, it is hard to believe that this is what we're talking about uh, when we're talking about local government and those who are charged with running local government in this jurisdiction. But what we also believe is that the council continues to be acting outside of the law and that despite receiving uh, 892 or uh, retrieving 892 emails, there's more, that they have stuff on their phones. We've seen copies of texts. They haven't disclosed them this time. What do you make of that, Joan? Joanna? Um, yeah, I would be of the understanding that if there's a search being done, it would be a search on everything. Um, I, I, I personally have no text, so I, I can't comment on that. But I can't imagine there's too many senior staff would be texting too much. Um, but certainly, you know, if, if you're doing a search on any information on any topic, whatever it may be, everything should be included. And I 100% agree with you on that. Um, so if it's the case that you're aware of something that hasn't been disclosed, then you're 100% right. The process is not being followed and still intentionally not being followed to the latter. So there's there's multiple questions to be to to be asked here. There's, you know, transparency. And, and actually, I'd go as far as to say if a, a dedicated meeting with the elected reps of Lake County Council is needed here um, and, and a detailed explanation needs to be given to us to relay back to the people that we represent as to what has happened, where the failings are, as Emma said, how we are going to improve this going forward. And then, you know, it, I presume there's standards in public office looking at this. There's there's bodies there that, that hold public bodies to account. Mm. Um, and, and, and I would imagine they will have to be held accountable in that regard also. OK, well, let me ask uh, McCutlip about that, because uh, as an elected councillor um, or uh, as a sitting councillor, as the case may be, uh, Emma Cutlip, uh, you're accountable to the people. Uh, the executive, the non-elected uh, members of Loud County Council uh, are, are accountable to the councillors, to yourself. Uh, will you be holding the executive to account? Yeah, well, you're, you're exactly right there, you know, and, and, and this kind of behaviour from the council and um, this this breakdown of, of their, their, their function, it, it, it stops us from doing our job. We're there to hold them account on behalf of the people. You're absolutely right in that. So I, I would agree with Joanna that I, I do think that there is merit in, 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 in a specific meeting to discuss this issue because there are serious questions to be answered. You know, like, um, this is really a fundamental breakdown of, of, of the trust and transparency of government and it's simply not acceptable. So you'll be calling for a special meeting? I would agree with Joanna um, in, in, in her statement uh, suggesting that, yeah, but obviously um, there is process in order to make that happen um, and, and, and I will work with Joanna in, uh, and, and our other colleagues um, to, to, to try and make that happen, absolutely.
Okay, well, uh, I suppose it's an uh, an evolving story. Uh, But in principle, you support the idea of a special meeting of Louth County Council to find out why Louth County Council does not have any respect for the Freedom of Information Act. Absolutely. We, we have questions to ask as to what's happened here and what's gone wrong and what they're going to do to, 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 to fix this situation. Because it is, as you mentioned before, you know, um, they've, they've now discovered 892 emails, but that says nothing of other records. And the legislation is very clear on um, the extent of records that are supposed to be included in this. Um, so I would expect there to be even more than 892 emails in, in the items that should be discovered. Um, and it's only right and proper that everything that should be discovered is discovered. Mm. Uh, of course. <laughs> I mean, it's the law. Exactly. <laughs> it's the law. There is no choice uh, unless uh, you, you're not found out. Um, Joanna Byrne, um, what's your thoughts uh, on um, a special meeting of the council? Uh, <coughs> I mean, what needs to happen in order uh, for such a, a meeting to take place? Um, look, I think it's something, as you say, it's evolving at the moment um, and the council have still yet to issue another response. I would imagine, you know, every councillor is listening to this and every member of the council is aware that this is going on and, and everybody is going to have the same questions. I think collectively um, we need to come together as members and and look through how best we get the answers that we need, the answers that the people we represent deserve. Um, and, and maybe that is, as I said earlier on, maybe it is a special meeting. We, we have an upcoming council meeting the week after next. Um, do we move before that? Do we wait until then? I, th- I think we need to come together as members and, and discuss that. As I said, we haven't discussed it yet. It's just something that came to me mm. as I was teasing it out with yourself earlier on. But certainly um, it's something that I think at this stage may be needed um, to afford everybody the explanation, the transparency, um, and and to try and reinstill the confidence in us that the freedom of information process and every other process yep. is carrying out to the highest standard that is set out in law, and that the people of this county deserve and expect. Am I am I think am I right in thinking that as things stand, a special meeting of Loud County Council is the only way of getting to the bottom of this because, uh, unless I'm mistaken, the chief executive. Joan Martin told you yesterday that she will not be drawn into talking about this on the radio. Yeah, <clears throat> I did ask yesterday, you know, um, as I said, my main concern in the back of all of this, at, at the first and foremost concern is, is any victims that, that, that are sensitive to this topic. Um, and, and what I did say yesterday is, that you know, we need to put this bit to bed for their sakes and correctly that everybody is satisfied everything has been done right. Mm. Um, you know, and <clears throat> the chief executive has the luxury of not coming on the radio and so do her staff. But we as elected representatives, I feel we don't have that luxury. I feel that we are accountable to the people who put us here. Mm. I'm always happy to come onto the radio and yeah. talk yeah, yeah. Um, about the issues. Mm. And, you know, I don't see did, did how jo- else... Did Joan Martin... Uh, explain why she didn't want to explain this to the people of County Loud listening to this radio station? Um, no, no, look, you know, that's that's for you to ask. Yeah, 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 no, I just wondered. On the just radio wondered and yeah. it, you know, if she didn't, she just said she wouldn't be drawn out in it, um, that she felt they were following the processes and, and you know, and, and obviously they're not. 
Um, but, you know, I feel that explanations are needed and I feel that we're probably not going to get them unless we have some dedicated discussion around it because it doesn't necessarily fall into any particular section on a normal council meeting agenda. Um, and considering the importance of this um, and the trust that this has broken and the confidence that this has broken in Lake County Council's service to the people, it may warrant a dedicated meeting to discuss it. All right, let's we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you both very much indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. County councillors in Louth, Labour's Emma Cutlip and Sinn Féin's Joanna Byrne, both of whom are based in the Drogheda area. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us and uh, a lot of people in touch with us. I'll bring you as many comments as I possibly can. Uh, the first of those uh, from uh, Tony Gribben once again. Tony has been in touch with us uh, every day this week. He's uh, in touch with us on behalf of the Dramore Group. This is the survivors of clerical sex abuse from the Diocese of Dramore. And he, he says that when it comes to Louth County Council failing to fulfil its obligations under the Freedom of Information Act, whether it was through incompetence, negligence or cover-up, the CEO of Louth County Council and its senior management must be held accountable for disrespecting the law, bad management and particularly undermining efforts by Christian brother survivors in seeking truth and justice. Thank you very much, uh, as I say, once again, uh, Tony, uh, for your message to the programme today. Somebody else uh, in touch with us uh, saying Louth County Council is rotten to the core. Just look at the grants it received for different projects in Drogheda over the last number of years for paths, parks, etc. None of the projects ever started. Where has all the money gone? Uh, says our caller uh, who says uh, people have to be held to account uh, we'd Paddy in Terman Fecken uh, in touch with us uh, who says Michael the real question here is what was the motivation behind the non-disclosure or the cover-up as Paddy puts it I believe a call was made from higher up. This is Paddy's view. He says maybe uh, somebody uh, representing Brother Garvey or his order uh, that the CEO didn't act alone. Best outcome uh, is that uh, she'll be retired and this will be put to bed. Uh, Thanks very much, uh, Paddy, for that. As I say, that's uh, Paddy's view. Uh, Thank you indeed uh, for sharing it with us. Uh, We'd uh, somebody else in touch with us uh, then saying, that uh, Joan Martin is due to retire in May uh, and uh, that uh, may change how uh, the local authority uh, is uh, acting in respect of uh, these issues. Uh, Damien O'Farrell, who has been representing men who were abused and raped as little children, as little boys, uh, and... Uh, called for the rescinding of uh, the freedom of uh, Drada from Brother Garvey has been in touch too and he says uh, as you know Damien uh, if you're a regular listener to the programme you know Damien is a Dublin City Councillor he says a special meeting of Louth County Council is necessary and it's a public meeting that's needed similar to the monthly meetings of the council open to the public open to the media he says that's the only way that public confidence will be restored I think it, it's the only way of restoring 
Damien O'Farrell's uh, confidence in the issue. Anyway, they're just some of the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Uh, we've a number of comments uh, in touch uh, as well about uh, the closure of the emergency department in Navan as to whether uh, that will happen in the coming months or not. Uh, as you've been hearing this morning, the Sinn Féin fear is that come April, the emergency department is going to close. This should not happen under any circumstances, says Shirley, who says that she and her family have used the hospital on numerous occasions. And it's not just the good care that they've received and appreciate very much. It's the fact that it's in County Mead. It's the fact that it is in Navan. It is the fact that they don't have to travel when they are sick to Drogheda or, for that matter, if one of their loved ones are sick, that they have to travel to Drogheda in order just to see them. And in line with uh, visiting times. Uh, She says we need a hospital close to us uh, because uh, the hospitals are dealing with people. They're not dealing with policies and procedures. They need a hospital in place for the people so that they can serve the people. Thank you indeed for your message as well. Shirley, our phone number is 0419832000 if you want to make comment on our programme today. That's 0419832000 thousand text or WhatsApp 86 658 or email Michael at LMFM.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Some more comments coming to us uh, and thanks uh, indeed to everybody who's been in touch with us uh, so far this morning. Uh, uh, As I say, a number of people are in touch about the hospital in Navin and I imagine uh, that uh, what Sinn Féin is saying will come as no great surprise to people but will come as a great concern to people and I'd say that there's a lot of people who are hoping that there is nothing behind what Sinn Féin has been hearing. It says, that's the local TDs, say they want to establish the facts to find out if what they've been hearing is correct, but they've been hearing that the emergency department is going to close in April or May. Oliver has been in touch with us and Oliver tells us he had a few operations in Navin Hospital, one just recently, and all the staff and the nurses were exceptional. He says there's nowhere else in Ireland like them. They went above and beyond. If they close the A&D in Navin, it'll be a great loss to the people in Meath. Where are they supposed to go to for medical treatment? Well, thank you indeed, Oliver, for your phone call to the programme today and uh, I hope uh, that you're enjoying good health at the moment. Jerry, thank you as well for your call. Jerry says uh, that the closure of the A&E in Navin will be a devastating loss to the town and to the surrounding areas. They provided invaluable care to people for years and the unit is part of the fabric of the community. Indeed, Jerry, I imagine uh, that uh, the unit is part of uh, the fabric of local commerce and uh, that there would be some concern at the idea of uh, the unit being closed for that reason. We had Sean in touch with us uh, this morning too and Sean uh, in touch with us about Louth County Council and he says a county council is a local authority. It is local government, another tier 
of government. And Sean asks if the law applies to plebs only. Or does the government, in this case, Louth County Council, think that we, the public, are plebs. Sean says this is not good enough. They are public servants. But after what I've just heard, he says, who could trust Louth County Council anymore? Well, thank you indeed uh, for your call and indeed uh, for sharing your strong thoughts with us uh, this morning on the programme. Sean, Uh, We had uh, Peter in touch with us about the television licence, outdated and uh, certainly not working for RTE with government having to bail them out because people aren't paying their licence. We need to pay for local media, for national media and indeed for public service broadcasting. And he says this money should be raised. People should pay their TV licence, but because they're not paying their TV licence, it should be handed over to Revenue who should uh, collect uh, the money from people's earnings and that way uh, we could continue to make sure that we have all of uh, the uh, broadcasting and public service uh, element of broadcasting uh, available to us. Thanks uh, indeed uh, for your call as well today, Sean. 0419832000 is our telephone number. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, it's not that long ago when government ministers were sitting down with retailers asking them why the cost of everything that they were selling was going through the roof. Uh, Today we're seeing uh, quite the opposite of that and we're looking at the prospect of a supermarket price war with Lidl reducing the price across 100 items yesterday. They say that there are reductions of up to 35% across a wide range of products from fresh food to frozen favourites, cupboard stables to bakery treats and home essentials and they say that this is a commitment to supporting shoppers and mitigating against the cost of living impacts. But farmers are concerned. Let's hear why. We're joined now by the president of the Irish Farmers Association, Tim Cullinan and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Why is it that you're concerned? Is this not just a correction of what we saw uh, uh, towards uh, the end of last year when prices were skyrocketing and people were giving out left, right and centre and putting pressure on politicians to get in and look at the books and find out what was going on uh, and if supermarkets were profiteering uh, on the back of a, a cost of living crisis. Yeah. Uh, first of all, good morning, Michael, good morning and you. Happy New Year to your listeners there as well. Of course. And yeah. uh, you're right, obviously, we are concerned. And first, uh, I want to say, you know, it's, look, I understand uh, the, the cost of living and, and for consumers and uh, you know, feeding their families, whatever, that's a challenge. But at the same time, so we have to look at the, the primary producer here as well. And you, know, you spoke there about a reduction of anything up to, to 30%. And on the other side of the scale, you know, we've seen ag inflation running since 2020. It's running somewhere in the region of 30%. And you know, over a 20-year pe- period, we've seen def- deflation in the price of food. Mm. And for the first time, we've seen inflation in, we say, you're right, over the last year. But that was to counteract some of the extraordinary costs 
that farmers have to deal with. Are farmers, you know, for, are farmers' costs not coming down? Uh, I think a, a, a fill of heating oil has gone down by 200 euro or something. Um, I mean, we're seeing dramatic decreases in energy and production costs. Yeah, prices are coming down, but they're not coming back to the levels they were at pre, uh, say, the, high, the original hike in prices at the start of the Russian invasion on Ukraine. That's not happening, Michael. No, it's a, like you even take the price of fertilizer. Like the the challenge we had to try and get down the price of fertilizer last year, so we had to literally uh, bring fertilizer down from Northern Ireland to demonstrate the, the differential in the price there. And but all the cost of production cost of labour, everything is at a new level and you know, farmers are trying to deal with that. And what's so concerning here is, why is it always fresh food, uh, fr- uh, fresh produce so that are, are being used as loss leaders you know, to encourage, this is a price war, there's no point calling it anything else. It's about retailers trying to attract more consumers after the Christmas period into into their own um Businesses. But how how, how how does that impact on farmers? If if it's a loss leader, does that not mean that the supermarket is selling the product at a loss? In other words, they're paying you what they would have paid you previously. But 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 what happens in these scenarios? It may start off that the retailer are going to carry some of the cost of this, but ultimately it always filters back to the farmer. And no, and I've been dealing with situations like this for the best part of 20 years now. And I've always seen in the past that the, the, the drop or the decrease in the price, the farmer ends up paying it in the long term, Michael. This is what I can only deal with history. But what I would like to see happen here is, you know, we, Minister for Agriculture, Charlie McConnell Logue, recently set up uh, the Office of uh, the Agri-Food Regulator. And uh, you know, we have a lady, a CEO in place there now, we have a chair, we have a board, and I want to see this functioning now. There's no point in wasting taxpayers' money mm. in setting up uh, an office and putting staff into that office and the board and the CEO if it's not functioning. I'm sorry, Tim, just, to, just, just explain that, expand on that a little bit, if you will. What do you want the regulator to do in respect of this? Do you want to stop loss leaders or, or uh, do you want to make sure that yeah, what you're paid uh, continues to be what you're entitled to? Well, the first thing I want, I want um, the regulator to do is to be able to go along each actor in the supply chain and see where the margin is and look fine if it if it transpires that the farmer which i believe it won't be the case is making the the margin here that's fine but all i'm saying is we need equity or fairness along the food supply chain and the only way that's going to happen is if if this office is giving the powers is given the powers by our government mm. to be able to do that and if if the office has not got those powers well then it's a complete waste of taxpayers money Okay, uh, I mentioned Lidl. Uh, I see in uh, the papers this morning, Aldi are saying that shoppers can expect to save between 25 and 106 euro on a typical trolley. It's a, a lot of money and not to be sneezed at. Uh, but if some of that is as a result of the supermarket selling at a, a, a loss, do you want that to stop? Yeah, I, I think, look, what, what, what I would like to see here is that I think any produce being sold needs to be cost above the co- or sold above the cost of production, which is, you know, to prevent below-cost selling. 
absolutely, this is something I would like to see happen because you cannot continue selling something at a loss and somebody is going to have to pay for this. And all you have to do is look at the profits of, of the retail, or retail sector and some of them we're not able to, uh, we have no vision of their, of their profits. But like, all of the retailers are making massive profits. We know we know what the farmer is making. Mm. We know, Michael, that we have only 80 horticulture farmers left in this country and we have a government saying we want to grow more fresh produce here in this country and we're doing the very opposite. We're driving them out. I don't know, and we've had this debate time and time again mm. Mm. and we've seen it in the pig and poultry sector last year as well where we lost anything up to 10% of the pig industry out of Ireland last year and uh, similarly around the poultry I mean we had our lads they'd spent two weeks trying to get up get a couple of cents onto the price of eggs only 12 months ago Okay but is it not from a supermarket's point of view really not just a, a marketing tool a way of getting you into the shop uh, and when you come in to buy your cheap veg or your cheap meat as the case may be the supermarket might lose on those products but they'll gain on other products uh, they've written it in so that they don't actually lose overall you're absolutely correct and and what's frustrating for me is what they're doing is you you're right using fresh produce because they know when somebody comes in, you're going to buy your vegetables, you're going to buy your meat, your dairy produce or whatever. And if they want to continue with this practice, let them do it on the dry goods and just leave the, the, the essentials alone. And just all I'm pleading for here is that there's a reasonable margin here for the primary producers, a farmer that's going out doing the work. And we all know the conditions that farmers have to work with for the over the past year trying to get the crops out of the ground a massive cost as well you know, dealing with the wet weather and i've seen horticulture farmers and the harvesting the crops by hand for the christmas market because they couldn't get the equipment into the fields so look there's a massive cost there for farmers and i'm telling you if this practice continues we will have less of those farmers in ireland and we'll end up importing more produce into the country and the consumer at the end of the day will lose out. Mm. Okay, so um, instead of saving €100 Euro or whatever it is on a trolley full of, of shopping, um, what should uh, the reality of it be? I mean, if the supermarket is losing on agri-goods, um, should uh, we uh, be only saving 50 euro or 80 euro instead of the 100 euro? Well, no, my point is if retailers want to continue with this practice of, you, of, of lost leader to attract consumers into their shops, why not do it on other goods outside of what farmers are producing? Well, there's been a lot of... Uh, uh, there's a finite, but yeah. there's a finite uh, amount of a loss that a farmer can take. And okay. what's happening here is we're losing farmers we're going to lose people, whether it's producing liquid milk for the for yep. the, the putting milk on the table of, of uh, for the breakfast every morning, or or dairy produce, yep. or horticulture, or meat products. What's going to happen, Michael? Is if those people aren't reward, rewarded properly for what they're producing, they'll just give it up. Is the solution something in line with alcohol sales? Uh, a lot of giving out over the years about uh, using alcohol as a, a loss leader to get people into the shop. Now we've minimum unit pricing. Uh, should a similar approach be taken? Yeah, absolutely. But that's what I'm saying. We have to be able to demonstrate that the price the product has been sold at is above the cost of production. 
So if we started there, and that's why I want to see the new food regulator going in there and to establish you know, what that value is. And I think, I think that's a reasonable ask from our government if they're spending taxpayers' money, setting up an office, putting staff mm-hmm. into it, and there's no point in having staff in that office unless they're going to come, uh, come out and deal with this situation. Okay, Tim, thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme today. Tim Cullinan is the president of the IFA, the Irish Farmers Association. Jackie Taff in touch with us saying, Michael, what does this language tell you? It may warrant a special meeting. It may warrant a special meeting. Oh my God, the law's being broken. Wishy-washy language from local representatives, she says. Uh, I think, Jackie, in fairness, it's a, an evolving story and it, it may actually happen. It may not happen, but time will tell and we'll be watching it closely. Thank you as always for your message. Thanks too to Maggie McGuire who researched today. Chris was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.